0: You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church Sermon Podcast.
1: Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead— I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you, For, as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, The Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends.
0: Amen. Amen. I guess I could have read that passage myself, but my voice isn't anywhere near as cool as that guy's. (laughs) It's actually from a a video series that we're using for one of our electives here uh, called uh, Discipleship Explored, and it's a really great series on Philippians. Uh, It's a a class that I'm sure we're going to offer again in the future, and I'd encourage anybody to take that class. It's It's been a really good journey through the book of Philippians. And this is a great passage, this is a great passage, and there's lots in it. I'm going to go through it kind of quickly. Uh, If you have your Bible with you, or if you have access to a Bible in in the pew in front of you, I invite you to to have that open, just so that we can follow along as well as we can. And this passage starts off with five words, I want to know Christ. Surprising, because it's written by a man who's been a Christian, first of all, for probably 20 or 30 years by now. Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus. He saw the blinding glory of Christ. He heard the voice of Christ. And now, by this time, he's well on to being really the leader of the Gentile church in many, many places. But he still wants to know Christ. And I wonder do you know that longing? Have you felt that longing before? A longing to know Christ. And not just know about Christ. Not just this, but to know him. To experience him in a way that you know that his reality, or that he is in your life in a way that is real. And that you're deeply connected with him. I wonder if that's a longing that all of us have felt sometimes. Because we, we have dry spells, don't we? Times where we're feeling disconnected from God times where we're fe- wondering where he is, times where we would long to be closer to him. And we have those times. Just a couple of weeks ago, on a Sunday morning, I was here leading worship, uh, standing in that spot, and I came here feeling, feeling pretty low, really, and for a number of reasons, different things that were going on in my life right then. And then we sang this song. We sang, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. And there's that verse, that's about heaven. And that was a game changer for me that day. All of a sudden, it occurred to me, heaven's going to be awesome. Heaven's going to be really, really great. And it wasn't a sad thought, and it certainly wasn't a death wish or anything like that. But it was a longing. It was longing for more of Christ and realizing that one day there's going to be all of that. And I think it's a longing that we all have, and I think it's a longing that we don't always realize we have, Because there's so many different things that we're distracted by, but it's there. And so today's passage is about a prize. It is about the prize. It is about the prize that is the reason for our existence. And that prize is to know Christ. To know Christ and to be more like him without the trappings of all of our pride and all of our sin that we struggle with. And it's a prize that we're not going to fully receive until we cross the finish line of heaven until we are with Christ physically. We're not going to receive it until then in full. But it's also not something that we have to sit around and just wait for. In fact, to be a Christian means to do exactly the opposite of that. Right in the middle of today's passage is a key phrase, and that's, it's in verse 12. We're going to start in verse 10 in just a moment, but I want to start with verse 12. Because Paul says, I press on, he's saying right now, in this life, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me, and I want us to take a moment and notice the wording of that sentence. And I've, I've practiced this sermon on my wife. This is the trickiest part, so you've got to listen. It, it, you have to pay attention to the wording. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. He's not saying, I press on for that which Christ took hold of for me. He's not talking about salvation right now. The last passage, last week, was about that. He's talking about something else. He's saying, Christ... Took hold of me for something. He took hold of me so that I could have the prize, and he saved me for a purpose. And that purpose is to honor him. Uh, last week, uh, part of our service, we quoted First Peter two verse nine, where it talks about how we are we are a holy nation, we are a royal priesthood, we are a people that have been given mercy. By God. And we've been saved for a purpose. And in that verse, we've been saved for the purpose of praising Christ. We've been saved to honor him. And in the context of this passage, part of honoring him, a huge part of honoring him, is pursuing him, striving to know him more, trying to be, or striving to be more like him by his power, not ours. That is what the prize is. And that's what this whole passage is about, and that's what the sermon is about. And it begins with Paul saying the words, I want to know Christ. Like I mentioned, last week's passage was about salvation, about justification, really. Uh, we heard about how before Paul knew Christ, he had put all of his confidence for his salvation in a bunch of stuff that he did, in legalistic righteousness, and in his, his zeal for, for his religion. All of these things, he was, a, he was the champion of all of those things. But when he got to know Christ, he realized that none of those things meant anything. All of those things, in fact, counted against him, and it was faith in Christ and receiving grace because of faith in Christ that saved him. So he's already saved, but salvation is just the beginning. Being saved from our sins by grace through faith is the good news of the gospel, but it's certainly not the end point. It's kind of like if a couple comes to see me in my office uh, for premarital counseling, and I say, well, you proposed to you, and you said yes, so we're going to get you guys married, and then you can go live in separate houses and have separate lives. You know, it's not like that. It's not like saying the wedding was really great, but that doesn't. there's not much more to marriage than that. That's ridiculous. And it's the same, the same thing with us in Christ. Once we're saved by Christ... Now is when everything starts. Now is when we start to know him. Now is when we have this ongoing knowing of him. And that's Paul's longing as well. And so we started in verse 10. And really, this verse verse could have been the whole sermon. Um, There's tons in this verse. And we're going to go through it kind of quickly. But this is a really, really powerful verse. He says three things. Well, first he says, I want to know Christ. And then in the rest of the verse, he's basically saying, and this is how you know him. I want to know Christ, and this is how I'm going about that. And he says three things. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know, I want to fellowship with him in his suffering, and I want to become like him in his death. Three ways of knowing Christ better, and what they have in common is that they all require us to pour ourselves out for the sake of the kingdom. Several weeks ago in this very series, we heard about Paul's life being poured out like a drink offering for the sake of God. And that's, that's how we know Christ. So the first of the three is we get to know Christ as we experience the power of his resurrection. And all of us who are Christians, we've experienced already the power of Christ's resurrection because we've been miraculously saved from our sins when we couldn't have saved ourselves. We were unrighteous in the eyes of God, and now we are righteous in the eyes of God by the power of Christ's resurrection. And when we see other people come to know Christ and they are reborn, we see again the power of Christ's resurrection. And as the kingdom continues to unfold further and further along, we continue to see the power of Christ's resurrection when people come to know Christ, when deceivers, deceivers when disciples grow closer to God, and when nations are reached. That is the power of Christ's resurrection. So if you want to know the power of Christ's resurrection, get, get in the midst of that. Get in the midst of what his kingdom building, what's going on there? It's at the front lines of that that we are going to see the power of Christ's resurrection. Where by faith, we actively serve him in situations where if it were not for him, we'd be destined to fail. And sometimes we will fail. And even then, we will know that God is enough for us. And so we will know Christ. In these things we will know the power of the risen Savior still sustaining us and His church by the power of His Spirit. We will learn to trust in Him more and we will grow in our intimate understanding of His presence with us. Pour yourselves out. Get into the place where the kingdom of God is growing, where God is working, and give yourself to that. Take risks for the Lord. And that's one way that we will see more and more of His resurrection power. Number two, Paul says he wants to know Christ by sharing in his suffering. We saw back in chapter one that when we contend for the gospel, we will suffer for Christ. Now in this culture, in North America, there's a lot of things about suffering for the sake of Christ that we don't really know. There's a lot of places in the world, and we've been hearing more and more about it lately. There's places in the world where people are suffering for the sake of Christ in ways that we have not experienced. But even here, uh, we, we will suffer. We, we will suffer in a different way, but we will suffer when we stand up for the gospel of Christ. If you are somebody who considers the kingdom of God more than your own comfort, if your goal is to live out the gospel, gospel in all areas of your life, if you try to honor Christ with your words wherever you are and with whomever you're with, if you speak up on behalf of the gospel, even when it's difficult to do so, whether that be on a mission field in a different country or whether that be in your workplace or in your family, if you do that in a place where it's difficult, then you've suffered for Christ. And you know what it's like to be looked down upon. You know what it's like to be ostracized, perhaps. None of that stuff is easy. But you also know that in those kinds of sufferings, we find ourselves having to rely on the Lord in ways that we would not have to if we were just doing our own thing and honoring ourselves, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. And when we rely on him, we get to experience him carrying us. We get to experience him sustaining us. And we get to know him in in that, in ways that we otherwise would not have. This past Tuesday, uh, Doug and I were at a ministerial meeting. It's a monthly uh, praise and prayer time of pastors getting together uh, in the south end of the city. And we had a guest speaker. Her name was Sophia. Uh, She's from a Muslim country, and she told just a little bit of her story. She told uh, her story, the part of her story, when she came to know Christ, ten years before her husband did, she came to know Christ when she was the only one that she knew who was a Christian, besides one person who she heard the gospel from. And she became a Christian then. And she talked to us about the difficult times that she experienced living as a Christian in that situation. But when she shared with us, she shared with us with the, with the weight, with the, with the presence and wisdom of someone who knows Christ in a pretty intimate way. And I have no doubt that this was largely shaped by her reliance on him during great suffering. She has an understanding of faith and prayer and an understanding of Christ that many of us still do not. And she can personally identify with Christ in a very real way because to suffer for Jesus is to know something, in a smaller way, but to know something of his own experience. Someday, someday I want to go to Israel Some of you maybe have already been. It's a place I've always wanted to visit because every time somebody goes to Israel that I know, they come back and they tell me the exact same thing. And that is, Scripture became alive. They walked where Jesus walked. They looked at things that Jesus looked at. They, They saw things that Jesus pointed to when he was doing word pictures in his stories and in his parables. And Scripture became alive because they walked where he was. They walked where he walked. And that's a, that's a powerful thing. But even more powerful, what does it mean to walk in the footsteps of Christ right now in the way we live every day here? We've already seen in Philippians chapter 2 the example of the heart of Christ, which Paul calls us in that chapter to emulate in our lives. And the essence of Christ is all about humility in that chapter. Christ humbled himself. His life wasn't all about him. His life was about being obedient to the will of the Father. And when we suffer for the sake of God's kingdom, in a small way, it is like walking in the footsteps of Christ. He did that perfectly, and we will not. But when we do, we will know him more, because that's been his experience. We will know more about our Savior. This is what it is to have the fellowship of sharing In Christ's sufferings. And finally, Paul says he wants to know Christ by becoming like him in his death. Paul longed to be more like Christ, and ultimately, and probably not too terribly long after he wrote these words, he shared in Christ's experience by losing his life for the sake of the kingdom. And that isn't going to be everybody's experience. And again, we know that right now there are people who are experiencing exactly that who are Christians and are becoming like Christ in his death in a physical way. And I don't know the future of this country, but that isn't our experience right now. But even now, we can know something of knowing Christ and being like Christ in his death when we deny ourselves in the way that we live. Christ himself said, pick up your cross and follow me. And that cross only goes to one place. It goes to death. And we have to die to ourselves in order to know Christ and to become like Him. I've been attending, sometimes I've been attending this, this elective that I mentioned before, uh, Discipleship Explored. And uh, we were watching the video last Thursday and it was, it was one of the chapters but it was talking about, talking about pride. It was talking about the sin that we commit in our pride. And we... We watched the video and then we had our discussion and then we went back and watched that part of the video again because that part, it nailed us. It nailed us. Uh, We could identify with a lot of the things, it was a list really, and we could identify with too many of the things on the list that are sins of pride. So we watched it again because of how much it impacted us. I'm going to read you the list. This is a list of of things that our pride does according to this, this video that we watched. Our pride makes us want to compare ourselves with others. Our pride makes us jealous when our friends do well. Our pride keeps us from asking for help because that would be weak. Our pride drives our demand for recognition and applause and makes us depressed and bitter when we don't get it. Our pride makes us cling to our low self-esteem and use that as an excuse for self-pity. Our pride stops us from apologizing when we're wrong. And our pride makes us blame everyone else for our own failings. We watched that a couple of times. And we all decided together that it was a brutal, brutal list. Because it, it hit too close to home. So if you can't identify any, with any of those things on that list, then you're more sanctified than I am. But if we want to be like Christ in his death... And so become like him. Then with the help of the Holy Spirit, we have to work at putting that stuff to death. Our life can't be about that. Because if we deny ourselves and put others first for the sake of Christ, we will be more like Christ because that is his attitude. And we will learn about Christ because in denying ourselves, we will learn that Christ is enough for us. Because as soon as you, start, as soon as you stop trying to make life about filling your pride, life gets kind of, kind of hard. And you have to rely on Christ. And you have to rely on the fact that he is our portion. He is enough for me and he is enough for you. We read in Psalm 73 how God is the strength of our heart and our portion forever. That it was true then and it's still true. Just a quick note on the last part of this sentence in verse 10. It says, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I'll tell you right now, this line was the bane of my existence this week. If you read six commentaries commenting on that piece of scripture, you're going to get six different ideas on what it's what it's trying to say. But this is what I think. I think first of all that this is not about Paul being uncertain about his salvation when he says, "And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead." He's not wondering. He's not wondering if he's saved. We already heard in the last Passage We heard in the earlier part of chapter 3 that he knows that his works meant nothing. He knows that it was by grace that he was saved. He doesn't have to try to be saved. He knows that. He knows that he doesn't have to say that somehow maybe God is going to save me. That's not what this is about. I think it's something like an expression of wonder. An expression of wonder that God would save even me. Because I know me, and you know you, and I think the more that I know me, the more I know that, wow, Christ saved me from my sin. So I think it's something like that God would even somehow save and resurrect a sinner like me. Because Paul, just like us, he didn't have it all together. In verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect. Let's be, let's be encouraged by that. Let's be encouraged. This is Paul, again, this is the leader of the church. This is a man of humility. This is a man who put Christ above all in so many areas of his life. But he's here saying, he's saying, not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect. The starting point for us, wherever we are, is to admit that we don't have it all together. We're saved by grace, but we still struggle with, we still struggle with sin. We don't pursue Christ very well. Sometimes. And you know that it's the human tendency to compare ourselves with each other. Again, that's pride. And we're not immune to that in the church. It's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to become deflated. It's easy to become immobilized when we feel like others are more successful at being a Christian than what, what, than what we are. We might believe that, or it might bother us that somebody else can recite more scripture than we can. Maybe we feel like someone else has a closer relationship to Christ. Maybe it seems like they are involved more deeply in ministry. And maybe they are. Maybe they can articulate their faith better than we can. But it has to be understood that we're not going to reach perfection in this life. You, know, you can consider the example of marriage again. Some of you have been married for a year. Some of you have been married for 10 years. We had our 17th yesterday. Uh, some, some have been married for 40 years. It doesn't matter how long you've been married. None of the married couples in this church have reached a, a place of perfection and complete unity in everything. And if you think that you have, tell it to your spouse. <laughs> and they will set you straight, I promise. The point is, is that we're still growing. We're still growing in our relationship with our spouse. We're still growing. That's what, wherever you are, you're still growing. That's the same thing with us in Christ. Paul is saying here that he knows that he hasn't fully attained all of this. We're not going to receive this prize fully until we're in heaven. And Paul freely admits that before heaven, he's never going to fully know Christ or be anywhere near completely Christ-like. But that's not defeating him. In fact, it's compelling him to press on even harder in pursuit of Christ. You see, Satan does not want us to honor Christ. He does not want us to know Christ better. He doesn't want us to be more like Christ. Satan is in the business of keeping that from happening. And if he can hold us back by reminding us of our imperfection, if he can hold us back by reminding us of sins that we've done, things that we're not doing well, if he can hold us back by, by making us think that we're not, whatever, we're not performing our Christian life in a certain way, if, he can, if Satan can hold us back from pursuing Christ by doing that, he will. He will. He will. So when we make mistakes, and we will, we need to confess our sins to God. We need to make it right with whatever it is, people in our lives, if it's a relational mistake that we've made. We need to make things right with others when we need to. But then we keep on going in pursuit of Christ, in pursuit of knowing Christ, in pursuit of honoring Christ. And on the other side, when we have victories, let's not dwell on those. Let's not pat ourselves on the back. Let's thank God, let's give him the credit, and then let's keep on going. Keep on going in pursuing Christ, in wanting to know Christ more. Always moving forward, always straining to honor him, further by growing in our knowledge of him and conformity to him. Always with that goal in mind. And Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then he says, He says, All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. At first read, that might sound arrogant. To say all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if you think differently, God will show you. And those are the words he's saying. But this isn't arrogance on Paul's part. See, the Holy Spirit is changing every believer in his own time, and sometimes quickly, sometimes more slowly. But the hallmark of a mature believer will be a genuine and growing desire for Christ. And if you're a Christian and that's not your desire, then trust that this will continue to change as you mature in Christ. And that's what Paul means when he says, God will make it clear to you. We're all growing, and as we mature in Christ, God is going to make this more and more clear to us. If we've been saved, we can trust that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion, just like we have it here on our banner. The more we grow in Christian maturity, the more we will desire to know Christ. And so Paul encourages us to seek out believers who are mature in this area, or who are more mature than ourselves, and follow their example. People that we can see in our lives who are seeking to honor Christ, who are choosing to pour themselves out for the sake of his kingdom, and for the sake of knowing him. Paul says, Join with others in following my example and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. He's not saying this to be egotistical. He's already acknowledged in this very passage that he's very far from perfect himself. But he's saying that the Christian is to be on the lookout for other Christians who can help them grow. So who are the people in your life who are like that? Who are the people in your life who you can see pouring themselves out for the kingdom of God? who you can see are seeking to know Christ and to be more like him and that are making that the prize that they're pressing on for. Learn from those people. Ask them for coffee. Sit down and talk with them. Pray with them. Journey with them. Because God designed the body of Christ, all of us, together, so that we can build each other up, so that we can spur one another on, so that we can lift each other up in prayer, so that we can honor Christ. That's what the body of Christ does. So Paul says to take note of people like that. But he also gives a caution. There's a bit of a change here in the passage. He gives us a caution warning us that not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is someone that we should follow. People that he tearfully calls enemies of the cross of Christ in verse 18. People whose God is their stomachs and their destiny is destruction. There's a few theories about who he's referring to. Um, It might be that he's referring again, just like in the past passage, to to zealous Jewish Christians who are saying that you need to follow the Jewish law. And in that sense, their God is their stomach because they're, they're focused on food, on what food they should be eating and what food they should not be eating. But it might be more likely that he's referring to another group of Christians who have professed to know Christ, but they're not interested in pursuing Christ. It's a group of people who believe that once you're a Christian... You can just do whatever you want. You've got eternity tied up now. It's all, it's all good. And so now life can be about serving myself. Life can be about following earthly pleasures in whatever way that I want. And in that group, their God is their stomachs. Truthfully, their priority in life is their worldly appetites. And certainly the grace of Christ can cover all, but these people were showing no fruit that indicated that they had given their lives to Christ in the first place. They gloried, it says, it talks about glory, they gloried in their freedom to live shamefully, and their destiny was destruction. And as it says also in this passage, their minds are obsessed with earthly things. And then Paul reminds us in verse 20 that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And in this passage, that's a big deal. And I think we've already heard previously in this series that when Paul talks about citizenship to the people of Philippi, that's going to land on them in a pretty profound kind of a way, because Philippi is part of the Roman Empire, and it's not geographically very close to the Roman Empire or to, to Rome, but if you went to visit Philippi at this time, you'd see a lot about Rome, because if you are a Roman citizen living in Philippi, then you Eat Roman food and you dress like a Roman and, and you talk and you you talk like a Roman. Uh, you are expected to promote Roman values and follow Roman law. You're gonna follow Roman customs and traditions. If you're a Roman if you are a Roman Empire citizen, then you live in accordance with the Roman Empire. And so it is with us. If we are Christians, then we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is all about honoring Christ. That's what the kingdom of God is. Where Christ is honored is where his kingdom is. And if you're a Christian, then you have the spirit of Christ in you. You are a part of the kingdom of God. You are a citizen of heaven. Even though heaven is not where we are, that is where our citizenship lies even right now. One day we'll experience the kingdom in all of its fullness, but every Christian on earth is already a citizen of that kingdom. So as such... Our life purpose is to worship Christ, to honor Christ by delighting in him and pursuing him. That's what you and I are for now. That's what our existence is for now, because our life belongs to Christ, and our citizenship is in heaven. So let your desire be for more of Christ. You know, you're never going to be satisfied with anything else but him. Yet as long as we live here on earth, isn't it true, as long as we live here on earth, we're going to try to find our longings met everywhere else but him. And each of us are different that way. We know what our go-tos are. Our sinful flesh will always want to look somewhere else but Christ for satisfaction. Back in Jeremiah chapter 2, in the Old Testament, we read about those who are looking to fill their longings apart from God. Jeremiah says, and and this is God's, God's perspective, God's voice, God saying, they have forsaken me the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. This is about people pursuing the wrong prize, trying to find life somewhere other than God, turning to something that can't give life, to try to drink water from that when there is a wellspring of water that they can drink from in God. And we all, like I said, we all have our different things. You know, what, what do you do when all isn't well in your world? When you are in touch of being incomplete, when you know that, that life, is, life is hard and life is messy, where do you go? Is Christ where you go? Or do you put another movie in the DVD player and just kind of numb out? Is it, or is it something else? We need to be discerning and look at everything that we do in this world and that we enjoy in this world, in light of the prize. It's not sinful to enjoy things. It's not wrong to enjoy our families, and it's not wrong to enjoy our job, or to enjoy music, or art, or hobbies, or sports. It's not wrong to enjoy a vacation. It's not wrong to own things. But let us never let our God be our stomachs by making those the things that we try to find our life in, by making those the things that we try to find our worth in, because those are broken cisterns we're not going to be satisfied by them. And the more that we try, the more unsatisfied we'll be and then we'll pursue those things more and it's a circle and it just goes round and round. Instead, let's turn to Christ. But again, we just need to be discerning and look at everything in light of the prize. Are the things we enjoy on earth, the relationships we pursue, or whatever it is, are these things helping us or are they distracting us from pursuing Christ. Can we enjoy these things and at the very same time as enjoying possessions or, or activities or relationships, can we enjoy those things and at the very same time thank God for those things? Do we live in such a way that it is clear that the things that we have in this world are not our treasure, but that Jesus is our treasure? If the answer is yes, then that's what it is to live in this world as a citizen of heaven. I'm just going to read the final couple of verses as an encouragement. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's finally reflecting Christ fully. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I'm just going to leave you with a couple of questions. What do you prize more than anything else in your life? What is it that you value? If, uh, if somebody that you know, somebody in your, your workplace or even your family, if somebody were to ask them what it is that you prize more than anything else, what do you think they'd say? Do you think they would say it was Christ? I hope that... I trust that God is going to continue to work in my heart. So that's more and more true. Because it isn't always true. But may it be our prayer that our prize, what we value more than anything else, is to know Christ more. That our prize would be to reflect him better, to praise him more. Let that be the prize. That's the prize that we have. That's what it is that we're pressing on for. And I invite us to also ask ourselves what kind of an example we are to those around us. Paul says for people who are believers to seek out those who are making Christ their prize. What a joy to be able to be that person for somebody else. Christ is the answer to the longing and dissatisfaction that we feel. Let's not distract ourselves from these longings at all but instead respond to them by pursuing Christ as our prize. And I'm going to call the worship team forward, wherever they are, and I'd like you to pray with me. And then we're going to sing a song together that is a wonderful response to this piece of scripture. And after that, I'm going to call Pastor Alf up, and he's going to close with a benediction. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word You've given us your word through scripture. And Lord, this passage, we know this passage wasn't about scripture. We know that the people of Philippi didn't have the Bible like we have the privilege of having. And we do know, Lord, that everything that we need to know about Christ, about who you are and what you've done, is in scripture. We thank you that you've given us that gift. And I pray that as we seek to know you, Lord, that you would draw us to your word, that we would be drawn to hunger for your word and spend time in it and drawn to prayer. And, Lord, today, like we've learned from this passage in Philippians, I pray that you would also, by your spirit, enable us to more and more want to pour ourselves out into the kingdom of God, into what you are doing, so that we can see your resurrection power, that we can share in the fellowship of your sufferings and become like you in your death. And that is a hard thing to pray for at times. God, but I thank you for the power that you give us by your spirit to obey you, and I thank you, Lord, for the joy that you give us in the journey of knowing you, that that is above all other things. I thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer, and I pray that you'd be blessed by this song that we sing of you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.